Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Uh, minimum wage in Alberta has been a source of a lot of controversy, right? And it was one of those things that at least you could argue the NDP was pretty upfront about that they campaigned on a promise to increase Alberta's minimum wage to $15 an hour. And come next month, that's where we'll be at. So they have pressed ahead with this promise despite warnings about the impact, warnings about potential job losses associated with raising the minimum wage. We had some numbers recently uh, from the city of Calgary's own jobs report uh, that suggests that maybe it has had an impact, that we have seen job losses in particular in the hospitality sector year over year. On the other hand, we've seen some numbers recently indicating that uh, spending at restaurants is up in Alberta. Uh, The people are going out more, eating out more, maybe despite the minimum wage increase. So we can continue that conversation, I guess, and the debate about whether or not it's, it's having an impact in terms of job losses and how small businesses are adjusting uh, to the increase. But there's kind of a bigger question that's getting overlooked in all of this, that ostensibly this is about helping poor Albertans, helping low-income families. And that's the rhetoric we hear from the premier and her ministers constantly on this. But that doesn't get a lot of scrutiny. Is this an effective policy to target poverty? Are the people who do benefit from the minimum wage increase, those who don't have their hours cut or their jobs eliminated altogether, are they better off? And are they the low-income Albertans that an anti-poverty strategy would be aimed at in the first place? New report out today from the Fraser Institute takes a look at, at this side of the debate and whether or not minimum wage increases actually help low-income families. And the answer is largely No. Joining us to talk more about all of this is Steve LaFleur, policy analyst with the Alberta Prosperity Initiative at the Fraser Institute, fraserinstitute.org. Steve, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. So how do we go about answering the question of whether minimum wage increases are an effective anti-poverty strategy? Well, I think the first point that we need to look at is who earns the minimum wage. And while there's a stereotype of, you know, the working poor struggling to get by. The reality is that 92% of people um, who are earning the minimum wage aren't in low-income households. So really that means that there's only a small percentage of people that, you know, were, that we really need to target heavily that are, you know, getting kind of the same treatment as all other minimum wage employees. And, you know, if you, if you want to go about having a really effective anti-poverty program, you really need to target people who need it the most. So maybe in raising the minimum wage, maybe along the way, there are some who would be considered low income that, that maybe get a bit of a benefit. But it's a pretty scattered, scattergun approach because you end up potentially helping a lot of people who don't necessarily need poverty assistance. Well, and it's not even just that there will be people that get help that don't need it. You know, obviously, if you can increase people's wages, that's fantastic. The trouble is that you'll end up creating winners and losers potentially. Right. Um, you know, if some people aren't able to get into the labor market because... 
it, employers determine that they can make do with less servers or because um, it's easier to automate certain jobs at a certain price point, then you're really knocking people off the employment ladder, and that has its own consequences. Right. And even those who keep their job, who do pocket a bit of a, a pay increase, if one of the consequences is that businesses are raising prices, that, that kind of eliminates much of the benefit of the pay raise, doesn't it? Well, sure. You know, if 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 certain, you know, restaurants, for instance, have to increase their sticker prices, it could be that, you know, low-income people um, who are consumers pay more. It could be that certain employees um, get less in non-wage benefits. So there are a lot of potential pros and cons of a, of a sweeping policy like this, which uh, really, I think, highlights the need to take more targeted approaches. Right. So let's go back and, and look at what you found in this study, because there is an assumption out there, and it's one, I think, perpetu- you know, perpetuated by governments, that people earning the minimum wage are poor. So if we're talking about poor Albertans, then obviously we're talking about all of these people. But, but clearly that's not the case. So who's earning minimum wage? Well, so for instance, half of the people who earned the minimum wage in 2017 were between the ages of 15 and 24, and 85% of them were living with parents or relatives. Now, it's certainly true that, you know, there are people who are, you know, 20, 21, 22, who might, if they earned enough money, not live at home. But again, that highlights the need to really be specific about what we're trying to target. You know, for instance, I mean, I had a minimum wage job when I was 16 years old in Alberta. You know, I I remember making $5 an hour, uh, but I was living at home and I was in high school. So would I have rather have that opportunity or not? And really, I think I would rather have the opportunity than potentially not because it's just too expensive to hire me. So half are between the ages of 15 and 24, which obviously implies then that the other half are older than 24. So of, of that cohort, what, what's, what, what do we see as, as the reality for a lot of them? Well, so the, the group that we're most concerned about, or that I think people should be most concerned about, is uh, single parents with young children. That's really, you know, when we, when we think about who needs the most assistance. Right. And that's only 2.1% of minimum wage earners. Now, obviously, with broad policies, it's very easy to say, you know, here's a number, uh, $15 an hour. This is great. This will help people on average. The trouble is with just looking at averages is that some people need a lot more help than the average. Some people need less than the average. Um, so really, if we were to focus on that 2.1% of people... Specific- this episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services... We believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Specifically, and, you know, other groups that maybe are also vulnerable that come within that uh, 8% of people that are living in non-low-income households, we can do a lot more and be a lot more effective than if we just have a broad policy that treats everybody roughly the same. For example, here, 23.2% of all minimum wage earners in Alberta had an employed spouse. So if, if someone's earning minimum wage and they're a secondary earner in their household, 
then that doesn't tell the whole story of whether we're talking about uh, a low-income family, then, does it? Right, certainly. And that really highlights why we need to be specific about this, because if it's the case that you've got a two-income household and one is just earning a little bit of supplemental money that doesn't really, that isn't necessarily making the difference between being poor and not poor, um, it's not as consequential as when you're talking about people who really are in dire straits, who are really struggling to make their, make their bills. So we really need to be specific about ensuring that we're actually helping the people who need it as much as they need, as opposed to helping everybody a little bit and hoping that we're helping everybody enough. So what would be a more effective way of doing so? Well, there are, there are plenty of wage-based approaches that you can take, which are good because, first of all, if you have something like the Alberta Empl- Family Employment Tax Credit, uh, which tops up people's, people's after, um, after-tax wages, it doesn't make it more expensive to hire people, and therefore there shouldn't be any disemployment effects. So it shouldn't make it any less likely for somebody to get hired as a result of that policy. Um, and the great thing about that is it doesn't do things like, you know, potentially increase uh, prices, which can be regressive. Um, so ultimately, it's, it avoids a lot of the downsides, and it really focuses particularly on people who need it. And there, there, are, other, there are similar ways that you could do that, you know, if you don't just want to stick to um, specific groups. You can tailor these things accordingly to try to catch as many people who are really in need as possible, rather than trying to just have a scattershot approach and say, we're going to treat everybody the same. Very interesting. Much more at FraserInstitute.org. Steve, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. Steve LaFleur with the uh, Alberta Prosperity Initiative at the Fraser Institute, FraserInstitute.org. So, as of 2015, the latest year of available data, and look, a lot's happened in Alberta since 2015, but as of 2015, the most recent data they have available, 92% of workers earning minimum wage in Alberta did not live in a low-income family. No counterintuitive, it makes sense once we explore their age and family situation. In fact, most of those earning minimum wage are not the primary or sole income earner in their family. So 50% between the ages of 15 and 24, and of them, 85% live at home. 23% of all minimum wage earners in Alberta had an employed spouse. Of these, 90% had spouses that were either self-employed or earning more than minimum wage. Just 2.1% of workers earning minimum wage in Alberta were single parents with young children. That is the stereotype of the minimum wage earner that the government often perpetuates. This is who we're trying to help. But there's a whole lot of people in the way of you helping those people. And it's a really ineffective approach uh, if the people you're ostensibly trying to help only make up 2% of those that are impacted by your policy, your ostensible anti-poverty policy. As they point out, there are, of course, all kinds of unintended economic consequences. Fewer job opportunities, decreases in hours available for work, reductions in non-wage benefits, shift toward automation, higher consumer prices, all of which disproportionately hurt the working poor. Right? And so we've covered that side of the minimum wage debate a lot. We've heard from a lot of small businesses in Calgary how difficult it is to adjust to all of this. How much is coming at them all at once between, you know, carbon tax costs and property tax costs and increases in liquor costs. And just, you know, the general malaise of, of coming out of a recession. All of that is being heaped on on small businesses. And it's become too much for some. So some will lay off workers, some will reduce hours available, some will reduce benefits. If the pay goes up, the benefits go down. You know, automation, we're seeing a lot more of that. 
maybe you don't need as many people if you can rely on, on technology. And I mean, the other option is to increase prices. Look, in a province like Alberta, we're, we're better equipped to absorb a minimum wage increase than maybe other provinces, right? And, and typically what economists look at is what's the average wage in any given jurisdiction and what percentage of that does the minimum wage represent? That anything up until 50% or so is more manageable. And, and Alberta's in that position. So maybe the, the negative impacts are minimal and not what they would be elsewhere. Uh, but it's still realistic that we would see them. And there's evidence suggesting that maybe we have already. But above all of that, and this is the takeaway from this study, that this is supposed to be about reducing poverty and helping low-income families. And it is a policy that demonstrably does not do what it's supposed to do. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.